Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. Hello everyone! Before we get started today, I need to take a minute to say hello to someone very special who I know is listening right now. Hello Devora. You gave us all quite a scare there. I'm ever so glad to hear you're feeling better. And I'll be keeping a special eye on you to make sure you keep getting better. Now, close your eyes and put your left hand on your right shoulder and your right hand on your left shoulder. Go on. Good. That's a big hug from me to you. Hello. This is Daniel Foytek and welcome to Season 2, Episode number 16 of The Lift. So today we wanted to tell you about two things. First, for Season 3, which is coming up here in just a couple of months, for the first time we'll be opening up submissions for stories written by you, the listeners. Now, as fans of the show, many of you have expressed interest in writing a story for the show. To this point, each story has been invitation only. So for season three, we're going to invite you to write a story. And if it feels like Victoria and her world to us, we may just select one to be made into an episode. We'll give you more details on that soon. But if you've been dreaming of writing your own story starring Victoria, that could happen. Next, we had a company called Studio reach out to us and ask us if we'd like to review their headphones. Essentially try them out and tell you about them. Now, I can tell you a great deal of time and love goes into the show in order to make it sound as good as possible. Audio is the only way we're telling our stories. For now, anyway. So, we want it to be as immersive as possible. That being said, having you listen on the best headphones possible is important to us. So, we said we'd give them a try and give them an honest review. And I'm happy to say they didn't disappoint. We got two pair, one for me, one for Cindy. I opted to try out the Regent model, which is their on-ear model. They're soft, they're comfortable, and here's the good thing. They block out the rest of the world. So I can listen to my podcast when I walk my dogs and work out and sit in the park. It is nice that they are Bluetooth as well, so you don't have to worry about cords. I have a cord attached to me right now in the studio. It's nice to not have to have one all the time. If you want a pair, they are giving a 15% discount to all our listeners and free worldwide shipping. So wherever you listen to in the world, if you want a pair of these, you can go to studiosweden.com. That's S-U-D-I-O sweden.com. Type in the code THELIFT, all one word, all caps, when you check out, and you'll get the discount. And they also let us know that in October, as part of a breast cancer fundraiser, They're going to be donating 10% of the profits on all their pink products to the Pink Ribbon Foundation in Sweden. So again, that's studiosweden.com, and the code is THELIFT. Now, before we get to the story, as always, we do need to give a quick thank you to our Patreon supporters. Your support helps keep the show coming. Honestly, without your support, we couldn't afford to keep making the show. This season in particular has shown us that we put a lot more time into making the show than even we realized. Your support will allow us to collaborate with others to keep making the show you love. Today's episode, for example, has two writers, an editor, an artist, three voice actors, and a composer providing a custom score, plus 
a song written by The Automatics, a former band of our good friend Nelson W. Piles. So, Victoria does need your help to keep the lift running. We do appreciate your support. If you'd like to support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash Victoria's Lift. Now, finally, a big thank you to everyone who took the time to rate and review the show in iTunes. There's some really touching reviews that got written, and uh, it means a lot to us to know that what we're making is something special to you. A big thanks goes out to Nelson W. Piles for allowing us to use his song, The Worst Thing You Can Do, written by The Automatics, and to Erica Sanderson, whom you may have heard on the No Sleep podcast. She has a surprise role today. And so does Sarah Golding of the Audio Drama Production Podcast. Our good friend Nico of We Talk of Dreams is back with a custom score for today's episode. Custom artwork for today's episode was done by Samantha Pleasant Labah of the Just a Story podcast and Audio Dime Museum podcast. A lot of really talented people involved in making today's episode happen. Really hope you enjoy it. So Brooke wrote this great story years ago, and she realized that it really fits the universe of the lift. So she and I collaborated a little bit and worked through the story details and converted it to a story for the lift. And she was kind enough to ask me to write the introduction. So the opening sequence where we uh, spent a little bit of time with Victoria and her music box, that's me. The rest of the story is all Brooke. So we'll let Brooke say hello, and then we'll let Victoria take us for a ride. Tweet, tweet. Are you a birdie? Do you like to Twitter and tweet? Come find us on Twitter. Victoria's Lift. Tweet, tweet. Hi, this is Brooke Wara, and I'm the author of today's story, The Tin Heart. If you enjoyed this story, you can find more of my work at brookwara.com, where you can also find links to my Twitter and Facebook. Find more episodes of The Lift at victoriaslift.com. I have lost so much. My name is Victoria. I am bound to this place, charged with guiding those who must choose. Don't be afraid. I can never again be the little girl I was. Will you accept your fate? I have my music box and a library lost, but I sometimes feel very alone. Won't you join me? It's time for your ride on the lift. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Victoria stared at the ceiling, comforted only slightly by the gentle green glow from her music box. Sleep was elusive tonight. One of those nights where her mind simply refused to be still. Tonight, wonderlust consumed her, and she imagined all the places she would go, all the things she would do, were she not so tied to the building and her lift. 
Of course, she did occasionally break the rules, using her lift to visit the places she simply had to see when she'd read too much about them in her books and needed to see the real thing for herself. Or when the desire for her favorite sweets grew too unbearable. I wish Mother were here now, Victoria said with a catch in her voice. That it could be the way it was, that she'd put a hand on my head and smile and tell me a story to make me feel better. A good story, she knew, would calm her mind and quell her itch for an adventure. She could almost hear her mother's voice as she remembered those happier times, which both comforted and saddened her. Tonight, I will tell you one of the stories told to me by my mother. Victoria's mother would always begin. And to her by her mother before her, and so on. A story from so far back, no one can remember who first told it. This, dear Victoria, is a story only for mothers and daughters. A story of our family, our history, and of things that must be known but that we must keep secret. Her music box trilled a comforting tone, then began to play. As the music began, she heard in her mind the ancient lilting voice of her music box, as only she could hear it. I too have stories to tell, dear one, for story is deep within who I am. Stories of times and places forgotten. Stories ancient and stories recent, but secret. Stories of my sisters. Those made by the one who crafted me. For while the great crafter made others before and after me, not all have been as fortunate as I. This, dear Victoria, is a tale of love and sorrow and the worst thing you can do. Once there was a man whose name meant sadness. Bubba Sorrow could not remember his real name. He remembered a mother, a flower-covered apron, rough hands on his cheek, and a voice like sandpaper in his ear that called him Bubba. He was a wiry man with muscles that pulled taut, like ropes about to snap underneath his ancient skin. Bubba was a silly name for a small man, but it was the only name he could recall anymore, so he'd stuck with it. He rarely had use for a moniker these past decades anyway, as rarely as he climbed into his pickup truck, Old Blue, and headed to town. He mostly stayed put, right where he belonged, on the mountain, with the black salsify and parsnips, the goat, and the darkness of the forest. And no one had disturbed that sacred remoteness, save for a passing hunter every now and then, until that girl child had shown up. He had been carrying buckets of water from the creek to rinse the blood from the bed of Old Blue, 
and was wiping the sweat out of his eyes when he caught a glimpse of something yellow flashing through the forest. He made a field glass with his calloused hands around his eyes to get a better look. And sure enough, a little toe-headed child was darting around in his trees. His breath hitched hard in his throat at the sight of her. But he decided she was probably real and not a cruel hallucination. He lowered his hands back to the task of mopping out his truck. His chest rattled and shook. It had been nine years since he'd spoken to another human being, his usual company being the goats, who made very poor conversation most days. That had been when he'd gone into town for a new axe blade and bought the now warbly, beat-to-hell cassette tape of 70s rock that currently blasted from his pickup speakers. The child's mouth was moving, arms waving lazily in the summer heat above her head. A faint hum seemed to radiate from her, but it was gone before he was sure it was there. He cocked his head at her and leaned on his mop, forgetting in his daydream-like state that it ain't polite to stare. She edged around his garden, nervously twisting the hooks of her suspenders and giving him the old stare back. He nodded. Right. Bubba jumped down and reached into the cab and shut the racket off. I asked if you see my daddy this way. Night. No. I had not seen this paw of yours. Shoo along. No one comes here. He waved his hand at her and pulled out his can for rolling tobacco. The child's hands flew to her hips and she spread her feet, taking a stance of authority she had surely seen her mother make use of a thousand times. Just a minute, mister, she yelled. Old Bubba's tongue went dry at the sound of her shrill voice. At the memory, like paper filling his mouth. My daddy came out this way for firewood, and we ain't never seen him come back home, and my ma is just sick over where he could be. And I gotta find him, and... He jammed his cigarette into his mouth and lit it, taking several calming puffs of it before speaking. He pointed into the woods south and told her, You go that way. You'll hit town again in a day or so. I don't know you, and I don't know your pa. He said it as quietly as he had ever said most things in his long, long lifetime, and the child mistook it for gentleness. Instead of retreating into the forest, she came closer to Bubba Sorrow, no longer nervous. Well, it's hot out here, you know? And so maybe you've got some water or something for me before I go on ahead? Or food? I haven't eaten since I ran out of sandwiches a day and a half ago and... Uh, I got water. He pointed at the slanting porch. You sit there and I'll get it. Fine. Thank you. She said. She plopped down on the threadbare planks and fanned herself with a purple babushka she'd had tied around her head. I appreciate the hospitality. She pulled the tin cup from her knapsack and held it up to him. The sun glinted off the hard silver surface, throwing dancing light into his eyes. Whispers filled his ears like cotton. He shook his head. The spigot's over there. 
Bubba nodded toward the garden. Should be cold. The girl looked perplexed. But you said... Never mind what I said. It's over there. Go fill your cup, he barked. The girl hopped up and filled her cup three times, gulping noisily before collapsing back onto the porch. She made no sign of moving on anytime soon. Frustrated, Bubba climbed back into his truck and began mopping the bloody water over the tailgate. What's all the blood from? You got a deer? It ain't the season, you know. The girl piped behind him. Every beast has got to eat no matter the season, he said, and continued his chore. They both fell into silence for a few moments then, and the only sound came from the goat rooting in the feed barrel. Bubba sloshed another pail of crick water into Old Blue and clicked his radio back on. The child watched him soap down, rinse, repeat. He mumbled lyrics around the edges of his roll-your-own-cigarette and spat in the dirt and forgot for a time that the child was even there. Who's that? She asked. She had climbed onto the hood of the truck without his noticing and was fanning herself again with that old babushka. The automatics. Bubba turned the music up so the bass vibrated the metal of the truck and shook the windows. She squinted at him a little suspicious. Bubba croaked along to the lyrics of the song. She gave him a blank stare. Automatic what? Before he could help himself, he was whooping with laughter. Of course she didn't know the music. Christ on a crutch. He'd bought the thing almost a decade ago. She couldn't be much older than the cassette itself. The girl smiled at his spontaneous joviality and joined in. She tapped her foot to the song. His chest began its clanging again with the strangeness of laughter, and he beat on it with his fist until the clanging and the girl's curious looks both stopped. Before he could stop himself from doing such an absurd thing, he asked her, What's your name anyhow, kid? Justice. He'd half expected her to call herself Sophia. So like hers was her hair, her fair skin, and the funny way her eyes squinted at him. Well, Justice, you say you're hungry? Bubba asked. Justice's face sagged in relief. Yes, I am. Very much. Bubba. He extended his hand toward her, and they shook. He hadn't touched another human in decades. Except to... Best not to think of that now. He helped her off the hood, and they walked towards the shack together. After he'd fed her a meal of salsify, carrot, and parsnip soup, with a hunk of stale hardtack, Justice had gained enough energy to tell Bubba about her no-account paw, who'd run off saying he was going out for firewood, and never came back. Last time he'd left, Justice explained, He'd said he was hunting grouse and stayed gone for near on two months. I hate listening to my ma cry over him, Bubba, she said, and that alien hum resonated again. I think my ma aims to kill him. Bubba startled from where he lounged in his old rocker on the porch and stared at her as he rolled another cigarette. Finally, he said, 
your mom won't be killing anybody. I fed you. I'll give you some food to pack in your bag there and drop you off down the pathways. You get home to your family and take care of them and forget that nonsense. You paint the devil on the wall, Sophia. Justice. She shrugged and sullenly turned back to gnawing on her hardtack. The humming had stopped. After a while, she asked, Who is Sophia? I, he said, Sophia was my little girl. Babasara was shocked at the sentence. Her name had fallen so easily past his traitor lips. He hadn't spoken that name in a century, at least. Not since... Where is she now? All grown up? Does she live in town? Don't know no one from town named Sophia. She's passed on now. Long time ago, he said. She was a little girl. About your age. He gestured toward the massive tree stump 200 yards out. And the story poured out of him. I was cutting that tree down, oh, many years ago. Sophia, she was a daddy's girl. She was always under my feet. She, well, she weren't where she was supposed to be when I swung that axe the last time. And that tree tumbled on down on top of her pretty head. The memory of Sophia following him out to do his chores that day became a slideshow of still-life photos in his mind. Sophia winding up her little tin music box and imploring him to watch her dance while he sharpened his axe. Sophia tugging at his shirt, Bubba waving a hand at her, trying to shoo her away. He had been short with her, angry almost, at her constant chattering and ability to lead him to distraction. The tree needed to come down and be made into firewood for the winter ahead. What you do? Justice asked. He leaned closer, the humming almost a deafening whine now. I cut my own heart out with that same axe, he confessed. Justice nodded as if she understood. He thinks it's a way of me expressing my grief over killing my own child. Old Bubba's sorrow's sorrow was so deep, he had to cut it free with an axe. He had to cut his own heart out, and with the very instrument of his beloved's death. But it had been the truth. He thought of the look in his wife's eyes, whose name he no longer remembered, as she cradled their broken child and watched him hack his still-beating heart from his chest and the mania of his anguish. His wife had been a Lapland Finn. Some had said she had the magic on her. She had taken their daughter's music box that was still clutched in the child's bloody hand and thrust it into his chest in place of his heart, whispering strange old words under her breath the whole time. Babasaro never knew if she had meant to save his life or to curse them both. Bringing the dead back was an obscenity 
She had painted the devil on the wall that day. The moment the tin heart had begun to rattle and come to life, Bubba had been filled with a rotten hunger. He had plunged his hands into his wife's chest, tore out her heart, and ate it there in front of her, silencing her whispering chants forever. Later, he had buried her and the child under the felled tree's stump. That day had been well on 130 years ago. He could not remember the exact number of years that had passed since then, whether from the passage of time or the desire to quit so many painful memories. Babasaro barely remembered the life he lived before that fateful day. He had forgotten his name, called himself Bubba, to honor a mother he had long forgotten and ceased to love. Love, in all aspects, eluded him ever since he'd cut out his heart of flesh, and therefore lacked the talent for loving anymore. Ever since that day, the cursed tin heart clanked to life and demanded blood every few years to keep its gears turning. No matter that Babasara wished to lie down in the dirt next to his wife and child and happily die with them. He was forced to carry on and feed the thing for all eternity. When feeding time came upon the thing, he would stalk, hunt, and murder his human prey. And all the while, the music box heart played an eerie, tinkling song on its rusty tines. It was a sound he loathed, for it had been the last thing Sophia had heard before she was crushed, the last thing his wife had heard before he had devoured her, and the thing he was forced to hear every time he committed another monstrosity. No amount of determination had been enough to rip it from his ribcage. The thing's desire for survival always won out in the end. And so, this morning, he had smelled out this young girl's father, drunk and shooting his gun at waterfowl in the deep, dark wood. He had feasted on the man's heart and brought the body back to his land to bury. He had been washing the blood from the bed of the truck when justice had appeared. The smell of the girl, her innocent heart, promised a feast that would grant the tin heart a millennia of uninterrupted life. It was enough to send the thing into a frenzy, and it was jittering and whispering at him to the point of madness. A child's heart. That would be the thing to stop all this bloody carnage. He had always suspected never fully been aware that the heart of an innocent might silence the hunger for blood. In any case, it was something he'd never allowed himself to consider until Justice stumbled into his yard, searching for her wayward father. If he must live forever, at least he would not have to keep killing to do it. But a strange thing happened every time he neared the girl. The humming he had heard upon first laying eyes on her would start up and grow into an incredible volume in his ears. Each time this happened, the tin heart would grow cold and still in his chest. It 
was afraid of her. Still, it thirsted and demanded he feed. So the terrible cycle had been all day. The tin thing in his chest rattled, so he pounded a fist against it and coughed. Justice watched him, a curiosity in her eyes. Had he seen the flash of something metallic there, too? Or had it been a trick of the sun that beat down on them this hot summer day? He promptly forgot about it. You are an old, old man, Bubba Sorrow, Justice said. She had taken up a stick and was drawing sharp-edged shapes in the dirt at her feet. An ancient wisdom was in her voice, and he could not recall telling her his surname. The tin heart vibrated and shook. Yes, I suppose I am, he said. He watched the sun wink out behind a thicket of rolling black clouds that had appeared without warning. He was not alarmed by the storm that brewed overhead. You were an old man when you died, but Bizarro, Justice continued. Her voice floated, like listening to the birds in the forest at night, which he sometimes did. The sound came from nowhere, and yet all around him. Inside him, the tin heart churned at a dangerous speed that agitated every cell in his body. He no longer tried to hide the sound of its presence. She already knew he was a monster, he reckoned. Justice seemed to be looking down beneath the slats of the wooden porch where Bubba had stuffed the body of the wayward dead man just until he could clean out the truck so it didn't start stinking in the sun. You commit a heinousness by living so long on the death of others, Bubba Sorrow. Eternal life without purpose is a blasphemy. Now he was sure she was looking at the dead man under the porch. She stood before him and placed her baby-soft hands on either side of his face. He smelled the dirt underneath her fingernails. He kept his head down and stared at her grimy feet. Swamp mud stuck between her toes. Her purple overall stank of mold. The humming emanating from her grew so loud it shook his vision. The dark wood all blurred in his eyes. They all seemed like unreal things. A painting, perhaps. A heavy burden has been laid on you, Justice said in an accent not of these mountains. Forgiveness was in her voice. There was disgust and anger and pity, too. But there was forgiveness. He blinked. Tears washed his vision clear. She was now in a purple dress with puffed sleeves, hair ties of bright purple ribbon, and Mary Jane's that shone in the sinking sun. She took her hands from his face. I'm in a prison, he sobbed. He put his face in his hands and cried until he retched. He had not cried in decades. Salty tears streamed down his face, his mouth frothed. He worried briefly and irrationally that the tin heart would rust and jam. Yes. She agreed when he finally fell silent. 
You have been far too weak of spirit to free yourself of sorrow. Another wickedness, I'm afraid. The tinkling of a song filled his chest. The music box's insidious song. It was ready to feed. Perhaps it was a deathbed confession. It mingled with the dreadful hum in the air around them. The girl took her own music box from the folds of her dress. It chimed softly. His tinkled in return. The two sounds seemed a strange conversation. He sensed a bargain being made in a language he couldn't understand. Last night, my music box told me a story about another music box. This one. She tapped Bubba's chest lightly. And the man it has cursed. You. Your music box has gone mad, you see. After what your wife in her grief did to it. And you will too, Bubba. You will too. If you don't choose to put an end to this folly, you'll be doomed to satisfy its bloodlust for the rest of its life. And Bubba, that could be a very, very long time. She motioned to the body underneath the porch. How many more will suffer because of your failure to choose well? Bubba looked at the ground. Bubba Sorrow, do you accept the choice I am giving you, or do you cling to your vice? The child asked, now shouting over the cacophony that had grown to a glorious din. Her voice was powerful. It ripped loose from her tiny frame. Babasaro admired her. The golden hair. The tiny hands. The alabaster skin. She did so resemble Sophia. I do accept, he shouted back. He realized that he had been clutching his bloodied axe. He threw it down, far away out of reach. He pounded at his chest. I accept. The storm above ceased to swirl, and the humming stopped. The trees still bent in the wind, but waved slowly and melodically. The air around Justice and Bubba Sara was warm and still. Time had slowed. Only the tinny song in his chest filled the air crackling sensation crawled across his skin. At last, he looked at the girl. She held her music box, encased in finely polished wood, larger and more intricate than the one in his chest. Her pretty music box opened wide. Its gears churned like a well-oiled machine. It reminded him faintly of locomotives he'd seen years ago. He looked closer and saw more than the intricate gears. An unearthly green glow poured forth from impossibly deep within. It cast the girl's face in its ethereal light, making her more beautiful, more dangerous. Her eyes sparkled in its light. She seemed to be listening to its music, not just hearing its tune, but reacting as if it were speaking to her. He leaned forward and peered into the impossibly deep music box, filled with whirring rows of shining serrated teeth. 
and better to eat your wickedness, my dear. Babasaro and the girl bowed their heads as the clamor of their mutual music boxes grew to a furious noise. Then, the sound of a solitary note, lovelier than any Bubba had ever heard, as the song of her music box eclipsed the one raging in his heart. A murder of crows scattered from the trees as the grind of metal on metal filled the forest. By the time Victoria skipped into the woods, all was quiet. Except for the very out-of-place ding of a bell and the sound of a lift door sliding open. short review of the show in iTunes and leaving me some gold stars. It helps others to find their way here too. I like gold stars. Can I have lots? Pretty please? Leave me stars and reviews at itunes.victoriaslift.com <laughs>